How many believe that there's a miracle that God wants to do in your life? Raise your hand if you believe that God wants to do a miracle in your life. How many are not sure if God wants to do a miracle in your life? Okay. I read a book quite a few years ago that really kind of stirred me up. And uh, it's a book by Tommy Barnett. How many know who Tommy Barnett is? Some of you, some of you don't. I'll just give you a little information leading up to the story, but at a very young age, I think at the age of 16, he started preaching. And he felt the call of God on his life, and he felt like he was to be pastoring a large church. So he sent out his resume to all these churches, and nobody responded. All these large churches, because that's what his vision was. Nobody responded. So then he kind of scaled it down a little bit, and he thought, well, I'll, I'll send it to, you know, maybe a medium-sized church. But anyways, after, I think, several months, he finally got a response. And he got a response from a church out in Davenport, Iowa. And this church was a church of about 76 people. That wasn't exactly what he had in mind. He had big dreams, big aspirations, big visions. But he went anyways, and he met with them, and make a long story short, he tried to figure out every way that he could say no to this church. But they would not have it. In fact, he, he, he went and he ministered, and he was ready to, to leave I believe it was on a Sunday night. He was ready to leave and walk out. And they said, wait, we haven't even taken the vote yet. He's like, what vote? <laughs> the vote to make you pastor. And um, so he's just thinking in his mind how he can tell these people that this is just not what God has for him. But anyways, he couldn't. And um, so he ended up saying that he would take the position. And for a while, it seemed like he made a really big mistake. In fact, he wanted to bring the board together and just say, look, this is just not working out. And, you know, we talked about the desert place. He was in what, probably what I would consider to be a dry place. How many of you have been in a dry place before? Maybe you're in a dry place right now. You feel like there's just no hope. And um, that's where he was at. And um, so I just want to read this real quickly. My, my wife was concerned when I said I wanted to read a story. But I, I, I want to read this because I hope it does to you what it did to me. And that was, it really inspired me to know that little, just a spark could ignite a huge forest fire. But this is what happened in Davenport. Sunday morning dawned and 76 people showed up for the service. This was considered an excellent number, apparently pumped up by the curiosity of those who wanted to take a gander at the prospective preacher. And that morning service didn't improve on my first impression. The song service was accompanied by an old, out-of-tune, upright piano. The song leader didn't sing well either. On top of that, he led the little group in a chorus that sounded more like a dirge than praise. The people sang listlessly. Now, I can tell you there's times when I've led worship that I looked out and it's like, man, am I, 
leading worship at a funeral parlor. You feel like you're in a dry place sometimes. And that's where he was. But he said, our first days in Davenport were a struggle. No one came to the altar to accept Christ. And the evangelistic calling within me cried out with something that was horribly wrong. I met with the deacons to tell them maybe it wasn't God's will for me to be here after all. I called my dad and complained. How many of you complain? How many of you find anybody you can to complain and tell them all about your problems? Both the board and my father said I should hold steady. This was especially hard for me after seeing hundreds respond to my altar calls when I was on the evangelistic field. But I stayed and prayed strictly out of sheer obedience rather than any great spiritual desire. How many know sometimes we just need to be obedient? Your desire might not be there. But sometimes it's just good to obey and be obedient to what God is telling you. Up until this time, everything had gone well with me in my ministry. Now I was stuck in a difficult situation. Perhaps if I could just endure it for a while, I would be out the door and on my way to bigger and better things. But God had another plan. And that was to give me victory in the face of immovable obstacles. One thing that we need to understand is when the situation seems bigger than us, that's a great place to be. When your situation seems impossible, that's exactly where God wants you. He wants to show you how big of a God that you serve is. He wants to show you that God is bigger than any problem. God is bigger than any situation. So don't look at the physical. Don't look at the things in your life and say this situation. How many of you watch the TV show MacGyver? I don't see any young people really raising their hand. Come on, raise your hand. Oh, there's a few. MacGyver was, this was the show that was on the mid-80s to early 90s. Right, you know. And it never failed, but MacGyver always found himself in impossible situations. Every single week you watch that show, he found himself in a really bad situation. But what did he do? He took what he had. How many of you have ever used baler twine? I mean, if you ever grew up on a farm, baler twine was the absolute cure-all for everything. You always had like a whole wad of baler twine in your back pocket because you never knew when something was going to break down. You pulled out the baler twine. And that's kind of what MacGyver did. He found himself in a situation. He starts to look around. What do I have? What do I have? Just hold on to that thought. So the answer didn't come through my mighty sermons or any other things I tried in order to bring life into that church. In fact, it was at the end of my efforts that I discovered that the miracle had been in the house all along. I ate lunch with Mrs. Bobby Stottlemyre. Sounds like a teacher. And her husband, Leon. My first Sunday in Davenport. She had been in the church for several months and had a real concern for the lost. But the seed inside her had never blossomed. One day, after I had exhausted all my ideas, she came to me saying, Brother Barnett, I've been saved for less than a year, and although I've never won anyone to the Lord, I've been going out every Friday for two hours to witness, and I believe God has led you to this city to help us win people to Christ. There was something so sincere in her spirit that I asked if I could accompany her and her partner the next Friday when they went out to witness. She agreed, so they 
so I drove them on their rounds. The first week, we had no success. How many times do you go out and you try and do something and you just have absolutely no success? Well, that didn't work. Let's try something different. But no, they went out again. The second week, they went out witnessing, and I drove around the block after I had dropped the ladies off for their appointment. Not finding a parking place, I pulled again in front of the targeted house. And one of the women beckoned me to frantic, beckoned to me frantically. I thought something must be desperately wrong because she was so excited and emotional. Hurry, Brother Barnett, she cried as she gestured wildly. We've got an old man on his knees and he wants to get saved. What do we do next? <laughs> Sometimes all it takes is just somebody to say, I'm willing. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to take a step. Here they had him on his knees. Now what do we do? How many of you got there? It's like, God, now what? It's like Peter walking on the water, right? So I went inside and helped the ladies lead this dear old man to the Lord. The next Sunday, the excited women brought their brand new convert to church and put him right on the front row. That's a good place to put him, right? Why, do you, why is that a good place to put? No distractions, but why else? Anointing's the greater on the front, Betty said. I believe also because this man was going to be an inspiration to the church. They put him right on the front row. Our people were thrilled when, they, when he stood to testify. Something strange and wonderful happened that very special Sunday so long ago. That little dry and dead Iowa church started to stir to new life. I took advantage of the moment and told the congregation we would go witnessing again the next week. And anyone else who wanted to get in on the wonderful joy could join us. Four ladies did in that week. Two elderly women came to know the Lord. Following Sunday, that sh they showed up in church, and we had them testify. The next Friday, we had more people out soul winning and more converts to share what had happened to them. Soon, the converts filled the front rows of our church, and the whole congregation caught the soul winning fever. How many of you know that's a contagious thing? So many people were being saved and now needed transportation that I began a appealing to the congregation for help. The lady who had started it all filled her car each week with new converts, and then she commandeered her husband's vehicle. They both were making two trips to church every Sunday with our new babes in Christ. I went to the church board to ask that we buy a bus, but the response was decidedly cool. We had a bus before you came. We don't want a bus ministry. Men, this is, just not, this is not just transportation. This is winning souls, I appealed. Let's pray about it. How many of you heard that before? We'll pray about it. And he said, we've prayed long enough, I blurted out. Let's do something. How many of you know you can pray and pray and pray, but some point you have to do something. Some point you have to get up and do something. Sometimes I think that's just our scapegoat. I'll pray about it. We'll think on that. And he said, if the Lord provides this money, will you let me buy the bus? They were trapped in the possibility that they might just miss God if they have a flat-out no. Not waiting to discourage their new pastor, the board conceded, well, if the Lord provides, but only if he provides. The next Sunday, I asked all the people to stand if they had been saved in our witnessing program and had to depend on a ride to church. Then I added, if anyone in the congregation feels inspired to buy a bus, please come to me after church. 
Immediately, Mrs. Stottlemyre jumped up and said, I don't have $1,000 to buy a bus, but I do have a house that I've been trying to sell for months. And if we sell this house, I'll give you the money for the bus. We stopped the service right then and prayed. A miracle occurred. That week, the woman sold her house, and the next Sunday, she presented us with a check for our first bus. We bought our bus, and now the battle was on. All hell wanted to stop this work before it started. How many of you know that when God is trying to do something, and when he wants to move, the devil is going to try and do everything he can to discourage and, and make you want to quit? And uh, I stood before the congregation, our bus motor burned up the very next week after they bought it. What do you think the board was saying? See, I told you so, right? There's a lot of naysayers. There's a lot of people that just want to throw cold water on every idea that you ever have, and they want to discourage you. So he said, the next week I stood before the congregation, and I told them the news and saw them shake their heads sagely. I did not dare ask for an offering to repair the motor. But I went to the bank, and I borrowed the money myself to get the bus back on the road. Within a month, the bus was jammed full, and we had to buy another. One of our excited new members bought the second bus, and then a third. As long as God prospers me, and as long as you keep filling them, I will buy you buses, he said. While he could not continue this generous offer for long, God used him to inspire faith that he would provide as long as we continued winning souls. How many of you know that God's going to provide as long as we do our part? God will provide. Amen? Amen? Soon all the buses were filled and revival was in full swing with people getting saved and packing out our little building. We had brightened up the place and excitement was running high. Before long, we were forced to new facilities and the revival had captured the imagination of the whole city. When revival broke out in Davenport, the news soon made it around the country. Sunday school records were shattered. People poured in from all over, and the media set up and paid attention. Our church began to battle the porno shops and massage parlors and won. The first time in such a victory had happened in the history of Davenport. Hundreds were saved in these special meetings, and lives were changed dramatically. The remarkable Iowa revival never stopped, and each Sunday new and exciting things happened. Far from damaging my reputation, Davenport made it. How many of you know there's a lot of things that we are we're so concerned about, our reputation and our appearance and what it's going to look like, that we don't do what God wants us to do? But if we're obedient to, to what God has called us to do, I believe that your reputation will be made by what you do and not what you don't do. How many, are, how many of you just feel a little bit of an excitement when you hear that story? How many of you know that anything's possible, amen? And that miracle started with one person, Mrs. Stottlemyre, being obedient to what she felt the call of God was in her life. Sometimes we pray for guidance and we look for an open door, but are not impressed by what we see. Don't be too quick to write it off. God's miracles are sometimes found behind uninviting doors. We miss the miracles because we don't look in the places where God hides them. Proverbs 25.2 says this, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. We don't understand how God works, but it's the glory of kings to search out the matter. The message version says it like this, God delights 
in concealing things, scientists delight in discovering things. Sometimes we need to seek it out. Sometimes we need to search. We need to search the scripture. We need to find out what God is really saying. How many of you have read something and maybe you've read it several times and all of a sudden something pops out at you like, wow, that's the word of God. The word of God is the living word of God. That means it doesn't matter how many times you read it, you're going to get something different. God's going to speak to you about something that you're going through in your life at that very moment through reading his word, through prayer. Amen? The title of my sermon this morning is, There is a Miracle in the House. And to say there's a miracle in the house doesn't necessarily mean your physical house. But it could. But that the answer to your need begins with something that is already in your grasp, in your ability, or in your possession. Something that you already have. I believe the miracle in this church is already in here. It's already in here. All the gifts, all the abilities, all the ministries that God has for this church are already here. But I believe we've got to start encouraging others to, and and we've got to be obedient to do what God's called us to do because I believe as one person steps forward and said, you know what, God laid something on my heart years ago. And I think there's a lot of things that God has laid on your heart. Maybe it's a business idea. Maybe you've thought about something that you feel God has laid on your heart But you think if you ever share it with somebody, they'll just laugh in your face. You don't have the money for that. How are you going to do that? Or what a crazy idea. But what if it really worked? How do you know if the dream that you have is God's dream? I believe you'll know if it's bigger than you, then it's God's dream. If you can't afford it, then it's probably God's dream. Because if it's going to happen, God's going to have to do it, right? If it's going to happen. I think about Garth Watson. How many of you have heard of what Garth is doing recently? When he was a senior in high school for his senior project, now, you know, I've heard of a lot of senior projects, and some of them are really good and inspiring, and others are not so good. But Garth decided we... we, uh, we're planning on putting a sports complex, or the, the decision was made to put a sports complex in down at Canton and um, with a track. Canton had never had a track, so every cross-country meet or track meet or whatever, not cross-country, but every track meet, they had to go to other schools to compete. So finally they were getting a track. So Garth decided for his senior project he was going to run across the state of Pennsylvania. That just blew me away. I'm thinking, here's a senior... Deciding to go across the state of Pennsylvania, that's just crazy. That's just plain stupid. Why would you do that? But he did. And he raised, I believe, $20,000 in doing that. That's a pretty cool thing. Raised $20,000 to put towards this track project. And then he went to school at Edinburgh and ran. And right at the end, end of his, his uh, he just graduated this past spring. He got the even crazier idea that he wanted to run from coast to coast. And I know his dad really well, and I was talking to his dad about it just before they left. And he said he had a couple college buddies that were going to go with him, and all of a sudden, at the very last minute, they backed out. Again, discouragement. Is this the right thing? 
And I was talking to Garth about his run just this past week. And, and I said, did you ever think about quitting? Did you ever get to the point? I mean, a lot of things were running my, through my head about this whole thing. And he said, well, you know, he said, before we ever left, he said, I really kind of got nervous and thinking, is this really something I want to do? <laughs> How many times does doubt fill our head the minute that we're ready to do something? It's like, do I really want to do this? And I talked to his dad and he said, his buddies, they're nowhere to be found. They, they bailed on him for whatever reason. So he said, I'm going to go out and I, I'm going to get him started. He said, my plan is to get him out of Los Angeles, get him through there. And I think he was going to be with him maybe four weeks. But he's running a company down in Canton. And so for him to get away, you know, when he's got this, you know, all these employees and all this stuff to do was pretty impossible. And I'm thinking, you know, I want to applaud his parents because they could have said, and how many times do we as parents say, that's stupid. That's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. What's the point? What's the point? How many times do we squelch other people's dreams by saying, you know what, you got, and I'm thinking, you know, as a parent, you just graduate. I just put you through school. How much money have I just shelled out for that? It's time to get a job. <laughs> it's time to grow up. You can run a coast to coast, you know, raise your own money or whatever. But he said, you know what, they bailed on, I got to go. I got to do this. So he made the decision to go out with them. And I think probably there was only a couple, two, three weeks in this whole three-month period that, that Frank was not with him. And I said, how is it? And he said, you know, he said, I didn't want to go when it first started. But he said, and I had to come home after four or five weeks, but he said, I couldn't wait. <laughs> I couldn't wait to get back out there. I believe that faith rises up when we take that first step. And there's going to be people along the way that, yeah, we'll criticize or whatever. But when he, when he ran into Canton this past week, and I don't know how many people there were there, but I know my wife and daughter ran from Alba or from our house, he ran the back road. And, and I think there was probably 20, 25 people that were running with him. His old track, or old cross-country coaches were there to run with him. And he got about a block away, and the, they had the police car and the fire trucks, and everybody kind of gave him a grand parade, and Channel 16 News, and the paper, and the, ra the radio station was there. And they had it on the speaker, and they were just getting everybody riled up. And when he crossed, when he circled that right main street at the light there, the applause just exploded. Because he inspired a lot of people. And what he did, as crazy it might, as it might seem, and, as, as, and you're thinking, what's the point? And he raised money for cancer, and that was what he had decided to, to do, and and they interviewed him afterwards, and and, uh, and I talked to his mom, and she said, I never saw him smile from ear to ear like he did. But he had to run across the Rockies 
through the desert. I mean, it wasn't all easy. And uh, he was running 35 to 40 miles a day. And I said, him running across the United States would be like me running from Canton to Troy. (laughs) Probably take me three months, too. (laughs) But that's all it takes is for us to say, God, use me. However crazy that idea is, and I believe there's a lot of dreams and there's a lot of ideas in here that God wants to just take off the shelf. And he wants to begin to have you start taking action. I want you to turn real quickly to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditors coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him, and afterwards she shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full... She said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. There's a real message in this story. Here's a lady that had lost her husband. The debtors were coming, and back then, basically, your kids would be sold basically into slavery to help pay for the debts. So here's a desperate wife, mother, who had just lost her husband, and now she's about to lose her kids. And in desperation, she goes to the only person she knows that can help. And I just want to share several points with you here this morning several principles about the making of a miracle. You need to know where to go or who to go to when you don't know what to do. Only God could make the miracle happen in her situation. Where we place our expectations determines whether we receive a miracle. If we continue to look to man, we will continue to be disappointed. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. God is looking to and fro to see whose heart is pure after him that he can use to show his miracle, to show his power. Our worrying is often expressed by an inner conversation we have with ourselves. How many of you talk to yourselves once in a while? 
How many of you grumble and complain? How many of you have ever been caught talking to yourself? You're driving down the road, you're at the light, and you're just sitting there, and you look over, and okay. How many of you know there's a difference between thinking about your problem and praying about your problem? How many of you have thought a lot about your problems? The problem with thinking about a problem and rehearsing our problems mentally keeps us focused on the problem and not on the problem solver. The more you think about that problem, the more you're just focusing on the impossibility, the impossible situation, all the things. You think about all your failures, all the reasons why God would never want to use you because of all your past failures. How many of you know God doesn't care about your past failures? He just wants to know that you're willing. He wants to know, are you willing to do the impossible thing? Are you willing to step out and be crazy? And the, the other thing is, when you, when you focus on your problem and you keep rehearsing it all, and then somebody asks you, so how you doing? And all of a sudden, they just get this huge earful because you've rehearsed it, rehearsed it, rehearsed it. And the more you rehearse that problem, the more, just more miserable it makes you. But if you pray about the problem, you're casting your cares upon him. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him. He never intended for us to carry our burdens. He never intended us for to us to carry that. He carried the cross. He bore the cross for us. Amen. Second thing is, don't seek an earthly Messiah. A lot of times we think, if I can just go to so and so, if I can just talk to so and so, how many know God is going is the only source for our solution? Not that we can't go to others. Obviously, that's what the body of Christ is for—to encourage us, to lift us up. But at the end of the day. Hopefully, we're going to just say, look, you got to give it to God. Sometimes we just need to listen. But as far as having the solution, I mean, there's a lot of times when my kids have problems, they have situations or whatever, and we've got to direct them to Christ. They've got to see the power of God work through their life. They've got to see the miracles happen in their life because they gave it to God. Amen? So what did Elisha say to the lady? What do you want me to do? What's in your house, he asked. I believe that God is asking us that question today. What do we have in our house? There's always something in the house. There's always baler twine, right? There's always something that God has given you. It might seem insignificant. It might seem like when you think about talents, and I think about Edwin, who was here last week playing the saxophone. I'm thinking, I'm pretty insignificant compared to him. I don't have that kind of talent. I wish I had that kind of talent. How many of you wish you had that kind of talent? You know, and I think so many times we feel insecure when we compare ourselves to somebody else. We feel so insignificant. But God made us all the same, amen? God gave every one of us abilities and talents and things that he wants to use to blow other people away, the miracles that God wants to show through you. He doesn't want you to compare yourself to anybody else. So a lot of times our initial response is when God says, what do you got? What do you got? Her first response was what? I got nothing. I have nothing in the house. How many of you feel like that sometimes? I got nothing in the house. There's nothing there. Nobody's home. (laughs) Oh, but except this little jar of oil. I do have that. 
He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and I want you to borrow. I want you to go to every neighbor that you can think of and I want you to borrow all the empty vessels that you can come up with. Not just one or two. How many times will we go out and just get a couple? I only got one little jar of oil. So I don't need, right? I don't need a whole lot of jars, right? I got one jar. But I believe she, he was filling her with expectation, anticipation. So she went out. And this gave her neighbors the opportunity to be part of her miracle. She went out and borrowed and got all of them. And then he said, I want you to go back. I want you to go in the house. And what, what does he want? Shut the door. Why is that so important? Shut out the unbelief. Sometimes you got to just shut the door on the devil. You got to shut the door on the negativity, on those people that would say it's never going to work. It's not going to happen. You'll never make it. You don't have enough money. You got to shut all that out. So don't be blinded by negativism, but move on to the positive. Our initial reaction is usually always negative, but she moved quickly to the positive. But I do have a jar of oil. Faith does not deny your present reality. It just acknowledges that all things are possible with God. Having faith doesn't mean that you don't recognize that you have an issue. We recognize that we have problems, right? We recognize that we're pretty messed up, right? How many think you're messed up this morning? We have issues. My wife tells me I have issues. I'm not telling what they are. Probably some of you already know what my issues are. My next point, faith is not faith until you do something. Action is required. Twice in this story, action was required of her. First, she had to go out and collect all the jars. Faith without works is dead. Many of us want God to do everything for us. But first, we have to act on our own behalf. We just want to sit there and just have God pour out the manna from heaven. But I don't believe that our miracles necessarily are going to always come like a supernatural manna from heaven. As much as it is going to be the multiplication of what you already have. That God wants to multiply and increase. Like the loaves and the fishes, when they were all there and everybody was hungry. And he said, what do we got? Well, we got a couple loaves, a couple fishes. That'll do. That'll work. Right? I was thinking about this as I was thinking about my own life. And and even Leanne, I'm going to bring Leanne into it. She was never a runner. She was an athlete, but she never really ran. And I guess after watching Forrest Gump, she decided that, He inspired her to go out and start running. And honestly, there's many times I have to admit that I have not always been the most supportive husband. But she is very serious about her workouts and her running. And there's many times I'm like, we don't have time. It's 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 inconvenience in me. Okay, I got things I want to do, right? But she has been very diligent. And then all of a sudden, she got the crazy idea that she wanted to do this half marathon. And I'm like, mm, that's pretty dumb. What's the point? 
So we went, and we, it's not like, I mean, you could run 13 miles here, right? Can't Detroit, well, you know, you could do it here. But no, we had to go to Philadelphia to run. Well, that's going to cost money. But I don't know how many people there were there. There's probably 30,000 people, something like that. I mean, it was, and I'm not a runner. I used to run. She's tried to get me to run a couple times. Just being in that atmosphere was pretty amazing. And to see her come across and to reach her goal, I have to say I was pretty proud. But not always very supportive. But I was pretty proud of, of, of the accomplishment. And I know for her, that was a big deal. She had a, a you know, it might have just started with her. I don't even know what possessed her. Or what came into her head to think that I want to do this. But that's the way God works. All of a sudden, you might have an idea. And the other way I think that you know it's God is you can't get it out of your head. It just seems to kind of nag you. Or maybe it goes and then it comes back. Also, when the power team came to Cannes. How many of you remember when the power team came to Cannes? I remember, and I, again, I don't, I, I, the worship center had the power team come in. And I think that was maybe what triggered the idea. But we thought, you know, the worship center is a huge church and, you know, they have financial resources that maybe we don't have. And the cost of bringing the power team in was like $25,000. Well, in a small town, that's a pretty big price tag. So I think we, we presented the idea to the, the, the uh, ministerium. Well, how many of you know David Morris? I mean, David caught the vision. Oh, we can do this, you know. I'm like, it's a lot of money. But anyways, long story short, First Citizens Bank, who I'd worked for just a couple years, had agreed to donate $10,000 to sponsoring all of the school assemblies. So we were well on our way. We were like, man, this is great. This is an answer to prayer. I mean, here, the, the bank's doing this. And the ministerium started, I think, to get together weekly. I mean, there was ministry teams. There was an altar ministry. There was a prayer ministry. There was advertising. There was hospitality. I mean, there was all kinds of things that they, there was a stage team. You had to create this huge stage and, I mean, there was just, it was a monumental, what seemed like in the beginning, a very impossible situation. So we started to, but again, it didn't, it didn't happen overnight. You had to take the step and say, all right, we're going to commit to doing this. And then we were committed. And then all of a sudden, a man by the name of Clark Muller got involved. The naysayer. And started writing letters to the editor about all why this is wrong for the schools to be, you know, having a faith-based message. This is not the place. And, of course, we went to all the schools. We had to go and meet with all these schools. We got all these schools on board, you know, and we assured them that this message was at the school was going to be, a, a, you know, an uplifting, but it wasn't going to be, hey, you know, come to Jesus type of a meeting. 
But anyways, Clark Muller got the ACLU involved. And I remember the, and the ACLU sent letters to all the schools and my bank. Basically threatening them with, you better not have this message. So all of a sudden I started getting calls from these schools saying, hey, I appreciate what you guys are doing, but we got to step back. And I think there was probably, I don't know, three, four, five schools. Uh, I remember Tawana School, their first vote was to not have it six to two. Like, what happened after that was absolutely incredible because all of a sudden, the flood of every single day, there was like two and three letters to the editor that came forth from people all over the county and other counties that just were putting major pressure on. The, the schools were getting calls. And so all of a sudden, next thing you know, all these schools that said they were backing out all of a sudden came back, every one of them. What we thought was going to be a really negative thing actually gave us the best publicity we could have ever had. I mean, it was just, we couldn't ask for better advertising. Every single day you saw, I, I, I think people were going to the letters of the editor. And then we started having meetings down at the Church of Christ for anybody, all the churches to get together and just pray. And the place was packed out. All the churches, I mean, it brought a unity in Canton that I don't think we've ever, had ever experienced. We ended up, I think, raising, before it was all said and done, I think we raised over $50,000 for that event. And I bet over 10,000 people came through the night services in about a five, four or five day time frame. The last couple, we had the gymnasium at Canton packed out and then they had to go to the overflow we had a guy from out in Illinois, I believe, come and do uh, all the video work. And the school was involved with that, and it was just an unbelievable event. So I just want to encourage you this morning, if you've got some things, I want you to bow your heads right now. I believe that God wants to challenge us, that there's some things that you've been feeling like God wants you to do, Maybe it's a ministry, maybe it's a business opportunity, but I believe that God wants to touch you with a multiplication anointing. He wants to take what you have and multiply it. He wants to do a miracle in your house.